And now an excerpt from James's survival handbook. The roots of a dandelion can be harvested. When eaten raw, they are much like Jack after this episode, quite bitter. However, when roasted till brown, they can make a delicious dandelion coffee. There is no caffeine, though. Welcome to Survivor Analytics. My name is Clyde. I am the true expert, and I'm here with the voice of the people. As always, it's Jack. How's it going? I picked the worst possible time to take a mouthful of water because I was not expecting to get shade thrown at me in the middle of your excerpt. But uh, uh, how's it going? I'm Jack. I'm the voice of the people. And uh, this was a tough watch. I'll say that. A tough right watch? This was the best watch of the season. I think this is the best episode of the season. Oh, of course you do. I mean, it was a good episode, but it that the ending was a tough watch. But I will also throw out that the beginning was incredibly underwhelming after two straight weeks of hype for the post-tribal event. Oh, yeah. Two weeks in a row, the next time on, focused on you're not going back to camp, you're staying at tribal. And it was ridiculously nothing. Yeah, it's just a reward challenge. Before hopping into the episode, I want to yeah. give you some background information on this one. Okay. You might remember around a month ago, my little sister Maddie hopped on the podcast and she says that there's one moment from this season that any Survivor fan remembers, and that's this episode. Okay. I mean, you know what? I believe that. The double idol elimination is one of the most famous Survivor moments in the history of the franchise. If you ask any casual fan about James, they will remember him for this episode. He is the first player in Survivor history to hold two idols at once, and the first player, and maybe the only player I would need to go back and check, to get voted out with both idols in his pocket. Or in the leg of his jeans, as yeah. it were. The man seems to have forgotten how to count. Yep. I'll say that. It seemed like he's at the stage where you need to just start playing them, and he doesn't. And uh, we'll get into that, though, because I have a couple hypotheticals for you. Oh, I'm excited. Last thing I want to say is that I looked online for some rankings of the top 10 Survivor episodes. There's almost 500 episodes, probably over. Yeah. This is a top 10 one. Frankly, I thought that between that and Denise's uh, Kempo demonstration, great episode. Oh, yeah. I completely forgot about that Denise oh, moment. Oh, oh, we'll come back to that because it made my heart sing. I mean, that that kind of leads us well into the the reward because they stay at tribal frosty has just walked off uh the other jury members are sent away and we find out it's a reward challenge and i'll tell you what i mean i was disappointed that it wasn't like a new camp or a elimination challenge or something pretty sweet challenge pretty sweet reward i mean the challenge was kind of lame but the the reward is a private jet to the Shaolin Temple, which is obviously the origin of Kung Fu deep in, in the mountains of China. Ancient, what, 1,500-year-old temple, spending a night with the monks, getting to you know eat good food, see Kung Fu demonstrations, that kind of thing. Pretty sweet. The challenge itself is a Chinese cultural trivia contest, also known as Could You Pass a Chinese Propaganda Detection Course, or something like that. <laughs> Like You think the Chinese government infiltrated the quiz here? Well, yes, because here's the thing. Especially in 2007, I mean, you know, obviously it's still a thing now, but Chinese censorship is so rampant that there's a reason these questions are so, so surface level. I think this might be the worst challenge of the season so far. We already ran a quiz. We did the quiz back at the merge based off of the merge feast that's a memory quiz and then we did the memory challenge and now it's just a quiz yeah and it's a quiz on things that i guess the players were just expected to know before going on this trip like this was the opportunity for production to do an art of war challenge because then that creates an even playing field everybody had that resource available everybody could have read through it to be fair these were the easiest questions on the planet did you follow along with the quiz? Because I took it along with the players because I wanted to see how I would do. Oh, how'd you do? 
I didn't miss a question, Clyde. They're so easy. Man, dude, I think I probably got like one wrong in my head. So PG ends up winning the challenge after a couple of ridiculous incorrect answers from some people. I just want to say I think this was a bad challenge. You would never run a geometry quiz or a biology quiz as a challenge, but I guess since the culture and the location is a large part of the season, it's okay to run a history and geography quiz. I don't know. I just don't think that makes for great TV, especially when we've already seen it twice. I would almost wonder if that was a an insistence on the part of the Chinese government. If you're gonna enjoy all of the beautiful vistas, you need to have more cultural education. I can you see know? that. And I'll see, at the end of the day, it's worth it because this season has some of the best rewards that we've seen. Like, I'd rather have some boring challenges if the payoff afterwards is better. So PG ends up winning. Let's talk about our picks here because she picks Eric and Denise. How did you feel about these picks? So I thought they were bad picks. First, it's bad that she was only allowed to bring two people because then you have three people on reward and four back at camp. And if you win the challenge, you should be able to select a majority group that goes with you. Because then it's easy for the four people back at camp to just scheme against the other three, which is exactly what happens. I don't think Eric and Denise are the best picks here. Eric is already on PG's side. You don't need to bring Eric with on reward in order to convince him to work with you moving forward. Mm -hmm. Denise, on the other hand, has made it blatantly clear that she has no interest in flipping on the Fei Long. Denise and James are very (laughs) one-dimensional in their strategy. So, but let me throw this out. They've been very one-dimensional to the viewer. I don't think PG realizes how clearly those two are not on her side because she, on the reward, multiple times makes the assumption that James would flip and vote with her. Yeah. Which, having seen any footage of James, is obviously not true, but I don't think PG realizes their stances at all. So I think from where she's coming from, they look kind of neutral for some reason. It doesn't make sense, but... I think the best players to bring here are, one, Courtney. Courtney is somebody that is willing to act on impulse. And I think if you paint a picture of James as this overbearing figure that's super likable, you could kind of connect to Courtney and convince her to vote against James. The other player I would actually take with is Todd. Oh... Even though Todd is the centerpiece of the Fei Long Alliance, he's a strategist. He's someone that's actually willing to flip and go back and forth. The likelihood of a player like Todd flipping is way higher than somebody like James and Denise, despite James and Denise being lower on the totem pole. And, you know, he's a potential flip risk, and you also get the benefit of removing his voice from camp while you're gone. Yeah. Uh, So even if he doesn't flip right? He's still not shit-talking you back at camp uh, and scheming against you. That's a good point. I totally agree about Courtney. I wrote down as she was doing her picks that she should pick Courtney. I would put out there, I am putting out there, that (laughs) I I think Eric is a decent pick because on the last reward, he got closer with Courtney and Amanda. He was willing to talk poorly about PG and and listen to their complaints and not defend her and kind of go along with them and agree. And I think for PG, there's it's a hard mix between keeping your enemies close and keeping your friends close. And I think this is a good opportunity for her to renew her vows with Eric, as it were. That's fair. But at the same time, I do think that uh, a Courtney-Todd selection would have been really, really compelling. Or even a Todd Eric selection. See, my philosophy with Eric is I don't think you need an extravagant reward to pull him onto your side. I think you can get Eric to work with you by just talking to him at camp. My biggest issue with it, though, is the fact that she only is allowed to bring two people. That feels kind of broken because it almost penalizes you for winning the reward in some ways. So if there's five people left, I was trying to think back. In 44, there's a reward where Carson and Jam Jam go. That's that final five. They do the same thing. They leave Carolyn, Heidi, and uh, Lauren back at camp. So you think that the majority should get to go on the reward? Yeah. 
Hmm. Interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. I think I prefer it this way. Really? Yeah, because look, they're getting a reward, right? There's a chance of an idle clue. They get food. They get nourishment. They get better sleeping conditions. I think it's more interesting for that to be balanced with and you are down in numbers. Yeah, I guess there's something to if the majority of players go on reward, is it less significant? Will players be less likely to actually form alliances and make moves in the game if the reward itself is not perceived as something that's special because more than half the players are going. So there is something beneficial to having exclusivity there. You know, the ideal situation, I think, to kind of negate that is having a good reward at six or at eight. Yeah, where you it's do 50 Yeah. As they go off to reward, Todd calls the remainder group. So Todd, James, Amanda, Courtney. He says like a nine-day sneak preview, which I thought was interesting. Do you think this is Todd posturing and just talking up everyone? Or would he actually like to see... A Todd, James, Courtney, Amanda, Final Four. I go back and forth on it from Todd's perspective. Because earlier in the season, he made it very clear that he wanted to vote out James. He literally voted out Jean Robert because Jean Robert came up with the same idea as him. Right. But now he sounds comfortable with bringing James to the Final Four. I think this is more him posturing, but I Mm. think he's genuine in wanting to roll with Amanda and Courtney. When this plan comes up of rolling with that Fei Long Four, James has a confessional where he compares China to the Garden of Eden again, yes. which is yeah. absurd. For a, a season that takes place in China, there are many elements of Christianity here. <laughs> it really is kind of a sign of the times, right? I mean, it was 2007. I really appreciate James's metaphor, though, because he's basically like, look, Biting the apple is leaving Fei Long, right? Yeah. That's leaving the Garden of Eden. And, quote, I just want us to frolic naked as long as we can. Such a great line, for one thing, uh, from such a great play. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, That line alone encapsulates James as a player. He thinks as far as the Fei Long alliance exists. He's not thinking past the final five. He's not. He's not, which is not good. I mean, I like the metaphor. I think it's fun. But uh, the good aspect of that deal is James is probably the player that benefits most from that final four. If we had a final four of Todd, James, Amanda, Courtney, James is a very likely immunity win in that round. Oh, yeah. And as much as I dislike James strategically (laughs) on this season, I will admit that he has some win equity against really any three of those players. I wish we had a confessional from James where he admitted that that Final Four deal was beneficial to himself. He wasn't just doing it because he likes the Fei Long group. But I don't think he thinks about it that way. Yeah. Unfortunately. I wish he did, but I don't think he does. Uh, The other thing we get at this stage is Courtney says, I don't want to be in a Final Four with these three people. What do you think Courtney's ideal Final Three is? Courtney is a tough one to judge. She has a locked vote on the jury in Frosty. Well, are you asking me what I think Courtney believes her ideal final three is or what I would do if I was Courtney? Courtney's not happy with this potential final four. So if you got to pick final three for her, who are the other two people next to her at the final tribal? Uh, Eric and Peachy. I think Courtney, as the last remaining Faye Long member, is a compelling story. Where if you yeah. bring one Jean Hu to the end, that single Jean Hu member has an underdog story where they can get a lot of the votes. If you go with both Eric and PG, then Courtney can be the player that said, I was at the center. I survived. Yeah, I was at the center of Fei Long and I was the person that tore down Fei Long at the end and placed all of you on the jury. That's a great point. Because yeah. neither Eric or PG have held a lot of agency in the game. Alternatively, she could probably swap out one of them with Denise, but then you run the risk of that single Jean Hu member getting the votes from Jamie and whichever other one is on the jury. Right. So what would you say? I think the Jean Hu, the Eric PG Courtney is probably the most compelling because I think any other iteration, you know, maybe a Denise PG 
because nobody likes PG. Yeah. Frankly, I, I really I really like her strategically, uh, with the exception of the throwing the game, which I accept strategically but don't like personally. Okay. <laughs> like, game recognized game, it was the right move to do, but I'm not happy about it. She makes so many blunders around camp and interpersonally constantly. Yeah. I really want to root for her at this stage in some capacity. She's won a couple challenges now, right? Two in a row. She has such poor instincts when it comes to interacting with Jean Hu members at camp that I just can't see her winning this game with a lot of those people on the jury. She's scrappy, though, and I think that's yeah. why I really like PG. It feels like some of the other Jean Hu members are willing to just lay over to the Fei Long Alliance. PG's really the one player there that is always strategizing, always trying to make a move happen. And it feels like oftentimes yeah. it blows up in her face and it doesn't work out, but at least she's trying, right? Like, Eric seems completely content with just following whatever Fei Long wants. Well, and let's be honest, Eric is dying to get to Ponderosa. <laughs> and, and we know how historically it plays out. Eric's prize is not the million dollars. Eric's prize is Jamie, right? Yeah. Not to reduce her to a, a you know, inanimate object, but uh, his reward is getting to go spend time with Jamie, not uh, a million dollars. But do you want to go out to the Shaolin Temple? Yeah. On the plane ride to the temple, PG pitches a final three deal of herself, Eric, and Denise. And... Denise is obvious here. She is non-committal to the plan. Yeah. And she's completely unaware of the fact that she's number five in that five-person alliance because as that conversation is happening, the other four Fei Long members are solidifying their final four deal. Yeah. Uh, so not the best look from Denise. <laughs> and PG's dream final four is PG, Eric, Denise, and James because she seems to think Denise and James are on her side or willing to be on her side. Which I don't think is a terrible read because we've talked about earlier that Denise and James are close with each other. So she's wrong that they want to join her, but she's at least correct that they are a pairing of some sort. Yeah, but it's ridiculous given every interaction we've seen between her and James to think that she and James would ever be on the same side of a vote. Oh, yeah. Like working together. That's a terrible read, considering in the last episode they got into a whole altercation that she started for no reason. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> like, and then in this one, she's on the private jet. She's like, ooh, champagne. You know what? Dreams come true. Maybe James will vote with me now. Yeah. Like, it's a terrible read. I think going for Denise is fine, right? Like, I think it's a solid attempt that obviously Denise isn't hearing. But when we get to uh, the Shaolin Temple... We find out Denise is a martial artist. Since when? Eight years. She has eight years of martial arts experience. I was delighted by this because we finally get a little bit of personality from Denise. And when you think about it, actually, how much do we really know about anyone else in this game? They do a much more proactive job in later seasons of essentially cramming people's lives off the island down the viewers throats yeah like i don't want to know about as much about carson as i do i don't want to know as much about carolyn as i do but i had to learn it because i had to watch this show for this podcast i couldn't tell you one thing about james life outside of this show besides the fact that he's a grave digger i couldn't tell you one thing about Todd's life, besides the fact that he's a gay Mormon flight attendant. <laughs> I guess that's three facts, but there's no uh, outside of the island development. And so Denise, in this little tidbit, we now know more about Denise as a person than we do about anybody else in this show. This is the type of character development that I enjoy on Survivor. Yeah. It doesn't feel forced. It feels like a natural no. progression of the show. Uh, I do think it's crazy that this season takes place in China and Denise does not mention anything about her martial arts background until now. Well, maybe she did and they just didn't put it in the edit, you know? It, it checks out given uh, Denise's screen time up until this point. 
I mean, her joy is just wonderful. It, it was a treat. It really was a treat. Did you enjoy the Denise demonstration? I did. I thought it was fun. I mean, she, like, clearly knows her stuff, right? I thought it was kind of cringy. Well, it's always going to look kind of cringy for the lunch lady from Massachusetts to do her demonstration after the monks who have been doing it for, you know, 30 years doing theirs, right? Yeah. Like, when first you see the guy take a sword and break it over his head and, like, leave the trail of blood... And then Denise is over here doing Karate Kid stuff, <laughs> right? Like, the comparison is pretty brutal. But, I mean, that stuff is very challenging. And uh, that was my favorite element of this reward. I'm upset that we never got to see some Denise karate moves earlier in the season. Remember there was that uh, challenge on the boat where they had to push each other off into the water? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, that was Denise's chance to get in stance and make some moves, get people off the off the boat. Now, now to be fair, uh, Kempo, which is the uh, martial art that she knows, it's a variant on karate. I know a bit about this uh, because, of course, I do. I'm the man of the people, <laughs> and some of the people do martial arts. Uh, I believe Kempo is a striking martial art, and there's basically two families, right? Like, you've got your karate, your kung fu, your taekwondo, your kempo, where it's punches and kicks and chops. And then you've got, like, judo and jujitsu uh, and things like that that are more grappling-based, where it's about wrestling and controlling. What, you know, instead of striking, it's about flow of weight and okay. momentum. And so, given that the challenge was kind of a, a wrestling and not so much of a hi-ya, right? Well, let's be honest. If everyone else is trying to, like, wrestle each other off into the water, Denise is just karate chopping people in the throat. That would have been great. I would have loved that. I was about to say production when it would have intervened, but they didn't intervene at, um, uh, what was his name? Eric? Dave. Dave. Dave's, um, not Eric, obviously. Dave's, like, mild sexual assault. That was the only thing I have written down. Yeah, me too. It was a fun reward, though. There's, um, I don't know the guy's name, some YouTuber, or he went to Shaolin and trained with the monks for a few years and, like, was a YouTuber while there, so he vlogged his martial arts training. Oh, it, okay. It is, I mean, it looks exactly like that still, I mean, 15 years later. I want to mention that as this entire reward is going on, the players that are back at camp yes. are struggling. We talked about earlier in the season where you had the mountaintop people and the mud people, but now it seems like everyone is just a member of the mud people. The conditions yep. are brutal in this stage. I felt like yep. in the first two, three episodes, the rain was really rough, and then the weather cleared for about five episodes, and now we're right back to some difficult uh, survival elements. There's literally one scene where the four remaining contestants are huddled in what do you want to call it? Is it a cave or like a ditch? It It's the cave. Courtney calls it the cave because she says, cave is my happy place. I don't think it's your traditional cave, though, because when I think of a cave in my mind, it's like a rock formation. This is more the side of a hill that has the interior dug out that the players yeah. all squat up inside. And Courtney is very protective of the cave. She has one of my favorite moments of the season when the reward players return and she talks about how the cave is her happy place and she hates that others specifically pg are infiltrating it it's and, and she's exactly right because once again pg is not reading the room you think this is bad oh my god clyde they come back to camp it's pouring rain only amanda comes halfway out to greet them everyone else stays in the cave PG walks over to the cave, says something like, wow, this kind of sucks, and then goes on to detail everything they got to do on the reward, including the cookies they got to eat. And we see James's soul break when he hears that he's been crouching in this cave to stay remotely damp while they were eating cookies. It's a terrible read. And you compare that with the previous reward, the River Cruise, where they lied about what they ate. They had fried chicken, and they didn't bring it up. 
I just think it's common protocol that you talk about the reward when you come back. Yeah, but the way in which she goes about it, it's not, hey, how are you guys doing? It's, oh, let me talk to you people from outside the cave while you're huddled in here about how great my last 24 hours were. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I was on the PJ drinking champagne, and now, you know, I'm back with you cave people, right? That part was just not a good read. What I do want to give her credit for, and I want to give a little shout out to PG, Eric, and Denise for this. Thank you to all three of them for putting on their clothes before they went on the reward. Oh, yeah. We've had so many rewards where they go and be cultural ambassadors just in various states of undress, and everybody went fully clothed. So thank you for that. Well, they did it because they had the opportunity. That's they true. went back to camp before going on reward. In the previous episodes when players showed up on the reward partially nude, it was because they went directly from the challenge. That's true. That's true. But yeah, overall, I think I agree with what you said earlier, where it feels like PG's social stock is continuing to fall more and more to the point where I wonder if PG is slowly becoming somebody that you want to sit next to at the end. That's a good point. That's a very good point. I mean, I think we've heard a PG genre bear comparison already in a previous yeah. week. And I think that reputation has continued to develop. I think there's other players that might be disliked by the jury. I think Courtney obviously has a terrible relationship with John Robert. She would never get his jury vote. Right. But that's only one person. It seems like PG has multiple players on that jury that would refuse to vote for her. It feels like she has approached Fei Long as though they should be trying to win her over and not the other way around. We see Eric, I mean, just here in a little bit, he goes up to James and tries to convince him to switch sides, right? And Ed is very like, hey man, you know, like some, you know, keep this in mind and affable. He's gotten along well with Courtney and Amanda before. We never see just kind of a normal, friendly moment between PG and anyone on Fei Long except this with Denise on the reward. I think if PG had taken a different social tact, she'd be in a much different spot because she's doing really well otherwise. If her social game was better, she would be a clear target for a vote because she'd be a triple threat Yeah, at this point, but she's not. So maybe it's working for her inadvertently in that way, but I don't think that's intentional. It's odd for me because on paper, it seems like PG is a player that I would want to take to the end. Yeah. Especially with the Jean Robert comparisons. But in practice, I would still be hesitant with her because she seems very knowledgeable of the game. Yeah. Like I would trust PG in a final tribal to give a good speech and potentially win some jury votes that compensates for her bad social game. Even though socially, I think she's disliked more than Eric. Yeah. I'm not really worried about Eric in a final tribal. I don't think he's going to say anything that's going to sway anybody. Uh, yeah, I think that's completely true. I could totally see Eric gets up there, sings a little love song about Jamie. Uh, <laughs> do, I mean, I it is hard to picture him articulating his game well. I can completely picture PG for all of her kind of mistakes around camp whenever she talks in confessional about her game she is knowledgeable well-spoken articulate she could absolutely make a great speech at the final tribe one thing i want to mention you hit on this earlier yeah is the conversation between james and eric yeah where eric makes a play to james and tries to convince him to work with that sean who group and james immediately shuts him down and he breaks Another Survivor 101 rule where he tells Eric to his face that his goal is to vote out Eric and PG in the next two tribal councils. Right. If you're planning on voting Eric out, don't tell him. That is probably the absolute worst thing you can do. Yeah. He keeps emphasizing in confessional, he says that there's a group of five and a group of two. And it doesn't make sense for him to flip over because then it would just be a three to four. He says that in confessional and to Eric's face. He says it twice in this episode, once to the camera and once to uh, one of, he says, nice happy five to the evil two. To Eric's face. 
And like Eric is a nice guy. Yeah. Like you don't need to call him evil right to his yeah. face. But it's hmm. weird because Eric is not making a pitch to James that, hey, you should vote with us, and then the vote will be three to four. Eric is obviously trying to pull more than just James onto his side, and James doesn't seem to believe that. So it's just a tough look for him strategically. Yeah. I would question if James would ever flip on an, an alliance. He seems like the type of person that forms his group based on the original tribal lines, and he runs with them for the rest of the season. Uh, we basically have one more note before the next challenge. Or I have one more note. What do you got? And that is uh, Amanda and Courtney go to check for tree mail, and Amanda sets the tone and says, now's the time we should blindside James. And Courtney is amenable. Credit to Amanda mm -hmm. for starting to put the pieces in motion Oh yeah, to make this move happen. I feel like players have talked about cutting James, but this is the first time where it's a real legitimate consideration. And even in the immunity challenge, it seems like the edit and the players are focused on James, wanting him to lose. Yeah, yeah, I think you're exactly right. So shall we head to the immunity challenge? What are your thoughts on Ninja Stars? Now, Did you ever expect this as a challenge? Now, here's what I'll say about this. Uh, ninjas aren't Chinese. Ninjas are a Japanese thing. It caught me off guard. The, the premise of this challenge is that players are taking these Ninja Stars and throwing them at a board. And you might think, oh, the board is probably like a dartboard, where the closer you are to the center, the more points you get. Incorrect. <laughs> Instead, it's images of people where the person on the far left is worth three points, and the person on the far right is worth two or one. So why would you ever aim for the right side of the board? It is such a weird... It looks cool, and what a massive waste of lumber. Everyone's aiming for the far left, and it's all or nothing. No one, I don't think, hits the other two silhouettes. Have you ever thrown a ninja star before? I don't think so. Have you? So, as the man of the people, I, in fact, have. I had a buddy uh, back in middle school who's, for some reason, his dad had, like, a giant garage full of just the craziest random stuff, right? It was just full of weird old treasures. And it was like... Uh, a warehouse from American Pickers or something, right? Okay. What were some of the other treasures? Uh, classic cars, like in various states of, of repair. Um, those golden Pokemon cards, like metal cards from Happy Meals. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, but he had throwing stars, and we would go and throw them at the side of his house, which I don't think his family was crazy about, but he apparently did that all the time. So pretty fun. I mean, it... Uh, not easy, but considering the first throw that we see is PG throwing one straight into the ground, not that hard. So my lesson here is go to Amazon.com, search Ninja Stars, and use code Survivor Analytics for 10 free Ninja Stars. Yeah, take those Ninja Stars, roll up to your friend's house, and just toss them on. Don't even ask your friend. Just <laughs> launch those things at the front door. Like, there was a section of the side of his house that was just full of holes because he was just throwing bladed weapons into the side of the house. See, this is ridiculous. How old were you when you did this? Oh, gosh, probably probably 10. We'll say 10. One of my favorite aspects of this challenge is how perpetually over it Courtney is. Yes. Before she throws, she says, we'll see how this goes, just launches it, and somehow gets three points. Courtney does so well that they end up with four going to sudden death because uh, Amanda, James, Courtney, and Eric all score six points. And then we get some real tension because we get Courtney with zero in sudden death. Amanda gets two. Eric gets three, and it's up to James. Now, this was a tricky question for James, I thought, because this is not about strength, right? The way of the ninja is about finesse and not brute force, right? And if there's anything that James is, it is brute force. Did you think he was going to make this one? The first time I watched it or this time? <laughs> right. Never mind. This time, hell no. I got so excited. I couldn't wait for James to compete in his last challenge. 
I love watching it thinking, man, is James really going to go out with zero immunity wins? <laughs> yes. James is so shredded. I think he would have had more success if he had thrown it like a baseball. Uh, but Eric ends up winning immunity. So that is back-to-back Jean Hu immunity wins. Yeah, it's huge for Eric because if he loses that challenge to James, I think Eric and PG are on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. I probably lean towards PG going there over Eric. Oh, for sure. But his his name is definitely out there. Yeah. Um. So it's a big win for him. I'm good to head back to camp if you are. Uh. Yeah. So we get a conversation between Amanda and Todd where Amanda's trying to recruit Todd to the blind side. And Todd says, no, we should go for PG. And we get this little moment that I thought was pretty funny where Amanda says, PG hasn't won anything. And Todd says, she's won two in a row. Two out of the last three challenges went to PG. And Amanda is so focused on her goal that she seems to have like totally forgotten that, which is kind of silly. See, I'm more surprised that Todd pushes back against the James plan, given that he was the biggest proponent of voting out James two episodes ago. It's weird that now he's hyper-focused on PG, who a lot of people don't really like that much. This could be a sequel reaction to how he felt when Jean Robert wanted to vote out James, right? He didn't want to go along with his own idea when Jean Robert wanted to do it, and I don't think he wants to go along with that idea when it's Amanda's idea. Todd has a little bit of an ego and wants to do the plans he comes up with. I agree. I think he's someone that wants the credit yeah. for a lot of the moves. I wonder if the James blind side, given that it's season 15, I wonder if this is a move that you you want credit for. Mm. Because I think there's a genuine concern that James could be a bitter juror, someone that yeah. would not vote for the Fei Long members that flipped on him. I think if it's someone like a PG, I think PG would respect a strategic move like that if she were in that same situation. I think she would still reward someone that flipped the vote onto her. But I think James might be pretty butthurt over this when it comes time to vote for a winner. I mean, I I think you're right. I mean, we see when Frosty goes out, Frosty had the most amicable exit I think we've seen. James, in about, you know, 10 minutes, is going to walk out out of the pagoda and not look back. In the meantime... We get some momentum on the blind side, and PG uh, figures out that she's the last person on the planet to know that James has idols, and goes to Amanda to suggest going after James. Well, did you see how she found the idols? She just looked up. James put them in the shelter. Yeah, in the roof of the shelter, you know, because who's laying on their back in the shelter looking up? He already broke this rule once earlier in this season when he left them in his bag, and now he's putting them in the shelter again. I don't understand why he doesn't just bury the idols to hide them that way. Like, it wouldn't have made a massive difference, but it's just the principle for me at this point. I mean, maybe at this point he doesn't care, right? Like, he's broken the rule. Why go back now? How did you feel about this Amanda-PG conversation where Amanda literally winks at PG and says, just be cool? Oh, it's a bad move by Amanda. Yeah. You're giving PG a lot of power in this scenario. Yeah. Because PG has options now. The real wrench in PG's plans moving forward is, would James believe her if she told him that the vote was going against him? Because PG could walk up to James and say, those Fei Long members are plotting against you. You got to play that idol tonight. And if James plays that idol then PG and Eric become the decision makers. They could essentially vote for any Fei Long member they want and knock them out of the game. Uh, They have discussions about voting out Todd there. And if they wanted to take the shot at Todd in this round, this is your opportunity to do it. You could burn one of James's idols. You would still have to worry about the second one. It's a start, though. Yeah, it's a start, and you knock out one of the core members of that Fei Long alliance. The big concern here, though, is... PG could easily walk up to James and say, they're voting against you, and he just won't believe her. Mm -hmm. That would have been a great move for its time. I think it's a couple steps ahead of where Survivor was at this point. But I don't think James believes PG here. I don't think James believes Eric either. Had either of them went to him and tried to leak the plan, then he goes back and reports it to Todd and Amanda. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he is 
loyal to a fault. It is challenging to gauge where his head is at because he says, look, I'm taking my idols and if I have to, I'll play one, but then doesn't seem to have any read on it in actuality. At this stage, let me give you a hypothetical. James has two idols. First time anybody's had that. Could James parlay those idols into building favor with a couple of core alliances? Could James say to Todd, continue to work with me and I'll give you my second idol? Are you saying that James throws out that offer and actually goes through with it? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, man, that's risky. I am always terrified of the idea of handing somebody else an idol. Yeah. I think if I have the intention of playing an idol on Todd, I want to do it myself as opposed to giving it to Todd and allowing him to be the decision maker with that idol. Right. There's definitely a philosophy there in offering up that second idol, but I think you need to do it with the right people. Mm -hmm. I think Courtney would believe him and I think uh, Denise would believe him, but I think Amanda and Todd would both be skeptical. Yeah. The reason I picked Todd is... When James got both idols, there was a moment where Todd was like, why doesn't he give me one? I showed him where they were. Like, he should give it to me. And uh, that doesn't happen. So there's a part of me that wonders, okay, is it too late for James to say, hey, man, just in case, if I make it through tonight, I'll give you my second idol. I just think Todd is the type of player that won't value a move like man. that. Todd has proven on this season that he can be cutthroat when he needs to, which is one thing that I love about him as a oh, player. Yeah. When in the Leslie elimination, you might remember this way back in the pre-merge, oh. but Leslie gives Todd the clue to the idol. He's the only person on Fei Long other than Leslie that knows about its location, mm. and he votes her out at that yeah. tribal council that night. He has no issue getting what he needs out of other players and immediately cutting ties. Right. Yeah. So I think there's a world where if James does that, gives him the idol, Todd says, okay, and still keeps the vote on James yeah. uh, for that tribal council. Yeah, that's fair. That was my hypothetical from earlier I wanted to throw out there. You know, is there a way that James can... Because I think my my big question, and maybe this is a more interesting point to to discuss, even with a lackluster challenge performance record, James has two idols. And that inherently puts a big target on his back. Is there any way he can get that target off in conversation? I don't think so. I think the combination of James's physical appearance and the double idol make him a <laughs> massive threat. Because just looking at him, you're worried he's going to win challenges. So if I were him, final seven with two idols, no question you play it mm -hmm. there. The latest you can play an idol is final five. So if you play it at seven, you have two rounds. All you have to do is win one of those immunities and you're guaranteed a spot in the final four. Win one of those immunities or just very, very blatantly bluff it. I would play the idol at seven, attempt the challenge win at six. If I fail, play it at six and then go for the challenge win at yeah. five. Like it's a more conservative move, but it was such an obvious move here to play this. Hey, we're going to, we're going to tribal. Oh, wait, last thing I want to talk about before Tribal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When all these parts are shifting and Amanda's really leading this cause against James, she approaches Denise, and Denise is down to vote against him. I want to hear your thoughts on this, because you're the person on this podcast that keeps telling me that Denise and James are attached at the hip. They're kindred spirits. They have a strong work ethic. Yet Denise doesn't think twice. They have a special bond, but so did Courtney and Frosty, and Courtney voted Frosty out, right? These things happen, it's part of the game, and it's great to see Denise, when she is included in a move, she makes the move. And, I mean, because the, the biggest thing we don't see enough of with Denise is her actually getting to have a shot. But we got to see that here, you know? Like a shot at winning? A shot at, at um, being a part of a strategy or a vote with intention. See, I don't think it's the right move for her at all. To stick with the group here. Oh, you think she should have gone to James? She's the one. She's the one. Yeah, that's a great point. If Eric goes to James, he doesn't believe in PG, same thing. Honestly, Todd could probably tell James and James would believe him, but Todd would never do that in this scenario. Denise is the one person. Once again on this podcast, Denise is in the power position and does absolutely nothing. 
Oh, I mean, that's such a good point. She really did uh, absolutely miss the boat here. She could have turned the tide of the game. Denise and James could have been the power couple all the way to the end. Oh, that's a great, yeah, yeah that's a devastating, actually. I also like that PG has the idea, and she talks about this with Eric, to put their votes on Todd, yeah. knowing they'll be in the minority, just in case James plays the idol. Yes. They can get Todd to go home. And I think that's a great read, because why dump more votes on James if you know there's already going to be the majority there? It's the category of not incorrect vote, but intentionally secondary vote that I love to see. I mean, that great yeah. read. It's stuff like that that makes me like PG on this season. If PG could do that stuff and then not start fights for no reason, then I'd be like, oh, she's the best player in this season. It sucks because she entered the merge with the numbers disadvantage. Like, I think if PG was a member of Faye Long and she was in that initial core mm -hmm. uh, when the merge hit, this season up until this point probably has a different story mm -hmm. where instead of being the scrappy underdog that is constantly getting information last minute, PG probably would have been one of the core decision makers of that group. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, I have one note from Tribal. Oh, what is it? And it's just that Denise was so happy to talk about that reward. It made my heart grow three sizes. I mean, Aww. It, just really sweet. And then everything was downhill from there. Downhill? I thought it got better. <laughs> I know you did. So everybody goes up and votes. Yes. And Jeff walks back with the box. Yes. Did you think James was about to play one of them? Yes, because it's the correct thing to do. I love James. I've, I've said that many, many times, and I, I'll still say it, but this was just stupid. Like, it was a bad read, in any sense of the word read, to not play one here. Is this the dumbest move that you've seen on the podcast? That's a good question. I think it is. I don't think you could <laughs> come up with a worse move. I'm trying move. to think of, like, if Shambo did anything ridiculously dumb or... Yeah, I, none of it was this dumb, though. It's in the conversation for one of the worst moves in the history of the show. It, it's that it, bad. I, it's really bad. I wish I could make some excuse and, and, and protect my boy, but... I'm happy you're owning up to it. I was concerned that you would help on the podcast and try to justify no, what James no, was doing no, no, here. No, no, no. I think it shows some growth on your end that you're willing to put your uh, favor for the Meat Boys aside and acknowledge when they mess up. So I didn't realize until I started watching with somebody else that I yell at the TV when I'm watching Survivor. Oh, okay. I I yelled at James in that moment when he didn't play it. And I was I I was very disappointed in him. As you should be, it's fair. Your final vote here is five votes on James, one on Todd, one on PG. The one vote on Todd comes from PG, and Eric doesn't go through with that plan. He wants to be a part of the majority. He throws his vote on James. So We'll see if that works for him if he builds favor with that Faye Long group now. I didn't like that. I don't know. It feels like he's just kind of appeasing the people in power, and I don't know if they'll really value that in the long yeah. run. You want to hear my James epitaph? Oh, more than anything. James works as a grave digger, but in this episode, James was the one that was buried. R.I.P. James. It's pretty good. I want to take a second to talk a little bit about the legacy of James here because oh he was a tremendously popular player on this season. One of the biggest Survivor fan favorites as this aired. Yeah. And when I went back to watch, I was excited to see him because typically when you have these fan favorites, they receive a super positive edit. And James is unique because I don't think his edit is as great as his reputation might suggest. Mm. Like, we have scenes of him kind of bashing Courtney with John Robert in the water earlier in the season. Yeah. We get scenes of him straight up telling Eric and PG that they're evil. I don't understand why this guy was perceived as such a hero. And the worst part for me always goes back to the game itself. And I just don't think he's good at Survivor. I think he is someone that can win some challenges, build solid relationships, but... He doesn't have that dog in him. He is unwilling to flip on an alliance when the opportune time rolls around. I just don't know if James 
is capable of winning a season. I'm in the process of making my player rankings here. I might have James in the bottom half. I think I could list potentially eight players that are better than him right now. I mean, I wish I could disagree with a lot of what you just said because I do really like him. He's one of my favorites on this season as a person. But when you actually look at his performance, you know, you called him, I think, over text a false meat boy. And he kind of is. I mean, he doesn't perform like you would expect in challenges given his stature. His social game is just really short-sighted and overly loyal. The idols that are his biggest asset and curse and burden and downfall aren't from him. He did nothing to get them other than, you know, work with Todd. And so as much as I like James as a person, I don't think there's a single moment in this season besides working with Todd to get the idols where I can say, oh, James was playing really well here. And that's tough because I, at the same time, I'm going to come away from China thinking, wow, I really like James. <laughs> like, we're, we're going to finish this season and James will be one of my favorite people. Maybe not players. Is he your favorite contestant that we've covered? I think he's my favorite contestant on this season for sure. Okay, but not favorite overall of the three seasons. Oh, that would obviously go to Carolyn. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I, I think James and, I mean, I really liked Jason. I really liked Franny, you know. James is up there, though. He's on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, maybe we'll uh, work those out at some point. Your Mount Rushmore of players that we've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, before we move on to uh, winners and losers, I do want to note, I don't think there was a single animal shot excluding the opening credits. Yeah, it's an ideal episode for me. No animal <laughs> shots. We get James out of there. Nothing could be better for me in this episode. I ate every second of it up. I was quite disappointed because basically when I'm taking my notes for this show, I'm just looking for animals. If there's not fur or a beak, like why am I even here, right? It, it was tough for me too because we pushed back our recording date this week just because Jack had a conflict and I knew what was about to happen at the final seven. So I was checking my phone once a day, waiting for your text <laughs> message, knowing what you were about to watch. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, RIP James. Well, do you think he comes back? Oh, so we, you know, with the final seven, four with the final seven come back, right? Yeah. Hearing what you have said about him being a fan favorite. But balancing that with the notoriety of such an infamous blunder on his way out the door. I'm going to say, I I mean, I hope he comes back, but I don't think he does. James does come back. Yeah! So my goal with these old seasons that we're watching is we're building up to season 16 Survivor Micronesia. He comes right back. Yeah. He competes again in the same summer, uh, similar to Russell. Oh, Yes! That season is widely regarded as a top 10 all-time Survivor season. Honestly, more like top five. Yeah. We're going to try to watch some seasons leading up to it because there's 10 returning players, and I want to see all of their origin arcs. Then yeah, we can yeah, yeah, watch yeah. them all come back in that season. So you'll be seeing more James in, I don't know, maybe a, a year or two from now when we finally get to that one. When I'm in my 30s at that point. Yeah. You'll remember this in the double idol. Oh, yeah. I'll also mention that season 36 of Survivor is Survivor Ghost Island, where the theme is past strategic blunders that haunt players. So a lot of the idols and advantages that they incorporate on that season are from previous seasons. Oh, that's fine. James's double idols are hidden on the island. That's pretty neat. That's a cool Easter egg. That's everything I have on James. I'm ready to go to winners and losers. Who is your winner? Uh, my winner, and I think you might agree with this, is Amanda. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think she, I mean, she led the blind side. That's a huge move uh, to successfully t take charge on a blind side of somebody with two idols, even with the little asterisk of the telling PG for no reason, right? Even with that being said, great move. And what she told PG... Uh, PG doesn't target her. Yeah. She targets Todd instead. Yeah. So Amanda kind of got off scratch free. 
Amanda continues to reside in this kind of on-deck position where Todd takes the brunt of this strategic flack while Amanda gets to have a, a great influence on the game. And I, I love to see it. I think Amanda's absolutely, you know, I don't want to go through the, my predictions for everybody I think is coming back. I think whether or not Amanda wins this season, and I think there is a chance of that, I think she comes back for sure. My question for you with Amanda is, yeah, yeah. now that James is out of the game, I think we perceived him as the biggest threat. Mm-hmm. Is Amanda now the powerhouse of the season? Because she just led the biggest move so far. No, it, no, it's still Todd. It's still Todd because he's the loudest voice. I think strategically from a perspective, a viewer's perspective, it's Amanda. But from the on the island, it's still Todd, I think. Would you say Amanda has like the second most win equity then? Like is Todd number one and then Amanda number two? Oh, in terms of like likelihood to win the game? Yeah. I think Amanda's the most likely to win in my mind at this stage. That's a fair pick. You've given her the winner nod three episodes in a row now. Seriously? Yeah. That's crazy. I think actually my winner and loser are the same as last. Yeah, my my winner and loser are the same as last week. So, wait, who is your loser this week then? My loser is Courtney. Really? Wait, okay, so why Courtney then? I think Courtney's list of friends on the island is running out. She wasn't that close with James, but she was fine with him. Courtney being fine with somebody is kind of the best she could do aside from her little munchkin frosty. Courtney doesn't have much of a strategic willpower, uh, which is something she shares with Eric. However, Eric has PG who really needs him. Nobody really needs Courtney at this stage. And so I think she doesn't have a lot of autonomy. She doesn't have a lot of uh, interest in self-preservation. She just doesn't feel like she has any control of her own fate at this point at all. I I don't think it's tied to any one moment in this episode. It's just I feel she is in the worst overall position. I'm surprised you say that. I think there's a couple of players that are in a worse spot than her. I think PG and Eric are still in a worse spot than Courtney. So we jumped ahead. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say about Amanda as your winner? Oh, no, no. I, I agree with everything that you had on Amanda. I can give you my loser, though. Yes, please do. And my loser by far, is Denise. Denise just voted out who I believed was her only potential ally in the game. And I just don't think Denise has any win equity at this stage. I cannot think of a final three scenario where Denise leaves victorious. The one thing that's going for her now is that she has a potential vote from James, but I think she only gets that vote if James is bitter towards Tan Amanda for making that move happen. Um, If you get a level-headed James at the final tribal, I don't think he votes for Denise to win it. I think he'll recognize that there were other players that did more in the game. Yeah, there is no situation where Denise wins. The one good thing going for Denise, though, is her positioning next week. Have you thought about this, what it's looking like at the final six? Oh, she is sitting pretty for next week. That's for damn sure. You have the three Faye Long of Courtney, Amanda, Todd, and then the two Jean Hu of PG Eric. PG and Eric just brought Denise with on reward. She could potentially flip to work with them, force a 3-3 split. Oh, yeah. Do you think next week will be the moment that Denise makes her move and flips on the Faye Long members? If not now, when? Right? Like, oh, if not now, then never. Right? This is her, this is her last chance. I think there's a decent chance of it, and part of that is, yes, it was in the next time on that she's, like, considering it. Uh, I hope she does, because it's her one chance to make a big move. And if she does that, maybe that's the beginning of the Denise winner arc. Many times in Survivor, you have players that are not super active strategically until the very end. It's a Brett thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's Brett to some degree. It's... The idea of ending up at a final tribal with not the best competition, but you played a strong end game. And that can sometimes be enough. It's not a super impressive win by any means, but it's a win nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, you know, is it more impressive to be in the middle of the pack for the first 22 miles and then sprint the last four and win? 
I don't know. Well, that that sets us up nicely for my honorable mention, which is Denise. Uh, what? <laughs> I mean, there's a very real chance that we're going to come away from this season and Denise will fall, you know, behind the sofa cushions of Survivor Analytics because she doesn't contribute much to the strategy. She hasn't had any real big moments. She's not really made an impact other than how many times we've had to say, wow, Denise sure isn't showing up much. If there's any bright light for Denise, if there's any moment where she got to shine in the sunlight, it was going to the Shaolin Temple and getting to demonstrate her own martial arts to the inventors of Kung Fu. And that's pretty awesome. And it made me smile. It make, it's making me smile to think about it now. But she just deserves a little bit of sunshine for that. For being a part of the edit, basically. And, and not only that, but for something that she's passionate about, like in her personal life, getting to show that off, you know? Yeah, maybe we'll get a Denise return. I don't think that's likely. You're not going to lock her in to come I, back? I see a Denise return at, in the same category as I see um, or saw a Shambo return where the edit was so brutal to her that I was like, yeah, she's not going to come back once she has seen how CBS treated her. Similar thing with Denise. Yeah. Shambo played a much larger role, though, on Samoa than Denise has on this season, though. Yeah, but she was also mocked so heavily. Yeah, the Shambo edit was probably harsher than the Denise edit. I got a dishonorable mention, and it actually goes to a contestant on the island. It's the first time I'm doing wow. this, I think, since episode one. Is it Eric? It's not Eric. I'm giving it to Aaron, who was voted out in the pre-merge. What? If you remember, Aaron and James are on the Feilong tribe. Yeah. They get swapped over to Jean Hu. Right. Where they throw the challenge and they vote out Aaron. <laughs> James survives that round by basically pure luck. It's nothing <laughs> that he does on their part. It's a coin toss, basically. If I were Aaron and I was sitting at home, knowing that if I was in James's shoes, I would have received two idols <laughs> and had an opportunity to use them in the post-merge, I would have been furious. Yeah. And then on top of that, watching James blow that opportunity with the idols must have been maddening for him because Aaron actually had some strategic ability that he never got to show off because the Jean Hu members identified James as a lesser threat and kept him around. And looking back, they probably made the right decision voting out Aaron over James. Yeah. So your dishonorable mention is just rubbing in the fact that this guy lost by chance to the most famous loser, maybe, in Survivor history, one of the most famous losers. I'm rubbing it in. I think that's so painful to watch somebody fail like that, knowing that chances are Aaron would have had the same opportunity. Because Aaron and Todd were aligned in the pre-merge as well. They had that core three of Aaron, Todd, Amanda with Aaron as yeah. the figurehead. Oh, yeah. I bet Todd does the same thing and gives Aaron the idols there. And who knows, maybe Aaron actually plays them in this round. I mean, I think you are certainly on to something and uh hey Aaron if you're listening bummer dude on top of that Aaron never plays again and James gets invited back because of his failures like <laughs> it's ridiculous oh man poor like, guy. James somehow failed upwards on this season hey don't discount failing upwards you know it, it's uh it's gotten me this far in life survivor in some ways almost incentivizes you to fail really hard if you want to come back like a player like uh, Jamie, who was voted out kind of unceremonious. Well, no, Jamie had a interesting elimination with the fake idol. I guess a player like Aaron that kind of is just voted out and forgotten has no shot at coming back as compared to someone that goes down in a blaze of glory like James. That just reminded me of something. Um, wasn't Jamie in 44 the one with the fake idol as well? Yes. Wow. The curse of the <laughs> I, Jamies. A trend of the Jamies. We'll see if we get another Jamie in uh, 45. I mean, what I'm hearing is that there's a clear statistical correlation. If your name is Jamie and you find an idol in Survivor, it's fake. Well, we're Survivor Analytics. We're all about the stats. So. Yeah, and the stats <laughs> don't lie. 
uh, correlation equals causation. If we have a massive sample size here of two Jamies. I've never met a Jamie in real life. Really? No, that's not true. I know a Jamie. I just remember. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Actually, that Jamie also gets my dishonorable mention. <laughs> the one that you forgot existed. Is this the childhood friend that you no. threw the ninja stars with? No. Because that'd I, be hilarious. I think I very briefly worked with somebody named Jamie. But that's everything I have. Anything else you want to cover? Uh, in the next time on, Amanda is going after Todd. Whoa. Something to look forward to. I'm excited for that. It's about time. I feel like they're the two titans of the season calling a lot of the shots. I'm ready for them to flip. At the same time, after two episodes in a row of overhyping the memory quiz, not memory quiz, the culture quiz, tribal thing, I can't trust the next time on. So who knows? That's fair. I can't wait to see what quiz we got next week. That should have been the next time on. What topic of Jeopardy are we covering? You know what? I'll put together a, qu a memory quiz for you at the end of this season about the animal shots, and we'll see how you do. Uh, but hopefully okay. next week we'll get at least one panda. Nice. Well, thanks for listening to Survivor Analytics. Uh, oh, catch us oh, next week. And, and do all the stuff. Go follow us on social media at Survivor Analytics and all that jazz. Oh, yeah. Follow us on TikTok and stuff. I texted you this. We had 50K likes, which is pretty crazy. 50K and um, shout out to Frosty for liking one of our videos. Yeah, that was so nice because cool. our Instagram has a smaller following than our TikTok just because the Instagram algorithm is, how do you say, booty? It's terrible. It's so bad. So we just have a smaller following there. So we had this random video that included Frosty. It got six likes and he was one of them. Like, that's, that's so, so cool. nice of him. Like if I saw a video that I was tagged in that was that low profile, I don't know if I'd give it a second thought, but Frosty... He's a fan of the show. Well, and let's be honest, how many videos is Frosty getting tagged in at this point? Well, I don't know. I think he had a decent following when I looked on there. He's oh, yeah, still doing uh, some parkour videos every once in a while. He runs some flips and stuff. I I worry about his knees. I think I've said that before, but let's call it there. All right. See you next week.